I want to um, encourage you as we get started this morning. Um, today is uh, Palm Sunday, as, you, as John referenced earlier. It's the beginning of what we call Holy Week, our celebration leading up to our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, and uh, this week, we want you to be looking out. Uh, we're going to have various things coming your way. Uh, we're going to have some special uh, videos um, of Scripture being read by people within the church. Um, we're going to have a Monday Thursday service that'll be different because it'll be um, it'll be uh, webcast. It'll be recorded and, and sent to you on Thursday, uh, and then next Sunday morning. Uh, we will have a special message uh, at sunrise uh, from me. You do not have to wake up at sunrise to view that video that we have pre-recorded, but it'll be there when you wake up to view as a as a family. Uh, and as you uh, saw in an email, we're also you'll get more information this week about um, if you feel so led to uh, fast with us starting uh, Friday. Uh, through Sunday morning, we are going to break fast together and have a um, a guide uh, for for how we can do that. So, this morning, as we start off this Holy Week, it's it's important to know what we're celebrating. We're celebrating Jesus, Jesus by the will of the Father, intentionally riding into Jerusalem to die. Riding into Jerusalem um, to be crucified for our sins. And this is such an important time of celebration for us. That this Jesus went to the cross so that you and so that I could be reconciled to God. He paid the penalty for our sin. He was the perfect living Son of God. Perfect in, in all ways. Did not sin. So that when He died on that cross, we received His righteousness and He took on our sin. All those who trust in Him, all those who trust in Him, who call upon His name, are saved. And not only are we saved from uh, the just punishment we deserve, but we are given a new life. And we live now differently because of this gospel we who were sinners and who were alienated and far off from God have been brought into this living hope through faith. And it changes us. It changes the way we think and it changes the way we live now and forevermore. And as we look at our study this morning in the, in the book of 1 Peter, we see some of the ways that we as believers are changed. And this is a a powerful message for us to understand this morning. And if you've been tracking along with us through 1 Peter, you you will see that as we've gone along, that Peter has told us that those who have put their faith and trust in Christ have been born again to a living hope, and that we have a new destiny and a new security. And that the people he was writing to, the aliens, the exiles, the sojourners, their hope, our hope, is not in this world. But it is drastically affects our hope, which is in God, drastically affects how we live in this world. We are not shaken like the world is shaken. We suffer 
but we live for Christ because His love is in us. If you've been following along with us, uh, you have noticed some words over the past three or four weeks as we've been um, moving through First Peter. You've noticed that the word faith has been mentioned very often by Peter. You've mentioned the word, you've, you've heard the word hope, and now we get to the, the, the third leg of these Christian, um, th- this, this huge Christian message that we are a people who live in faith, hope, and this morning we're going to look at love. Now, the structure of this text is straightforward. Um, as we have been going through, at the beginning of this letter, at the beginning of this epistle written, we have the gospel message, and then in verse 13, Peter turns and says, Therefore, uh, because of what you have heard, therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the, revela- at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into how we should live. In this section, uh, there are five imperatives, and we have talked about three of them, imperatives or commands. The first one that we saw was to hope in God. The second one that we saw was to be holy. The third one we saw was to fear. And today, in our verses, we see the fourth one. And let, let me read verse 22 to you again. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, here's the command. Fervently love one another. Fervently love one another from the heart. And so as we look at these verses today, the main point is that we as believers should fervently love one another. And that's the main point. That's the imperative. That's what Peter is calling his readers to do. And what he does again is he sandwiches this imperative uh, with two clauses that tells us how or why we are able to do that. How we are able to love one another. So I want to jump right into this. I want to jump right in. And the first thing I want to do is look at the kind of love that Peter is calling us to love one another with. And the first thing I want you to see in verse 22, and we're going to jump up from the main um, imperative. And notice it says, For a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. Now this morning, as we look in this text, what Peter is calling the readers to is to love the brethren. Love the brethren. Love those who are in the family of God. Love those who have been born again. This does not negate our call as Christians to love our neighbor, to to love those who are not part of the brethren. But this morning, in this text, Peter is specifically talking about uh, the, the love that should characterize the community of faith, the community of believers. And this is a big issue. One of the things that we must know and one of the things that you may be feeling uh, this morning is that you were made, uh, you were saved into a community. You need that community. You need the brothers and sisters uh, in Christ around you. You were not saved to be an individual, standalone believer. This is not how God made you to isolate yourself and you may be 
keenly aware of that right now as you feel in isolation. From the very beginning, God called a people and created a nation, a people for Himself. And then as we get to the New Testament, we are seeing we see that as people are saved, they devote themselves to a body of people locally who gather together, which we call churches. They gather together to love one another and to love God supremely. And so the question that I have and what Peter is um, commanding us to do is to love one another. So the question that I have is, does our community... Is our community known by how we love one another? I think as you read this text and as you read the book of 1 Peter, one of the things that you see is that we are a people who should be living differently. We should be living in such a way that when outsiders look in, they notice how we love one another. And as Peter was writing this, and as he was writing this to a group of people who were, uh, who were strained, who were being tested, who were being persecuted, who were probably tempted to abandon the faith, who were undergoing much stress, notice he is calling them to love because he knows that in these moments that they needed one another. They needed the gifts that the, spirits, that the Spirit had, had given them. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to all believers so that we can uh, use those gifts within the body, within the body, within the church. They needed the, the faith that others may have, the hope that others were clinging to, the love that others had. And God gives this to the body. He gives this gift to the people. Flip over with me in First Peter to chapter 4 and, and hear this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Notice this. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. I think we see as Peter is is, is moving towards wrapping up this letter in chapter 4, that we see this theme come back in this command to love one another and by loving one another we are actually loving one another um, through the love of God and it is as we love one another God is loving us and so this command is for believers and it's vitally important and so I want to transition here and look at how Peter tells us we should be loving one another Notice the words that are used in, in talking about loving one another. First, we see this word that we are to, for a sincere love of the brethren. This word sincere means without pretense or without hypocrisy. 
in the New Testament over and over and over again when it's describing love and Christian love, it describes it as being unhypocritical. Love others sincerely because they are part of you. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love in a way, not just because of what they might be able to do for you or for what it does for you, but love them sincerely. Love them for their sake. I love this word without hypocrisy, and we know that it has this, carries this connotation of uh, loving one another without a mask. Love one another from a pure sense of sincereness that's from me, the vulnerable, real me. This is the kind of love that is absent from most of the world around us. Most of the time, uh, when we see love in the world, it's from the opposite standpoint. That we're really loving ourselves through other people. We're really loving someone, not out of sincerity of just wanting to love them, but, but what benefit it might bring back to me. Notice the second word. It says, love sincerely. If we keep going, a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. This word fervently means without ceasing, eagerly, earnestly. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. It means this this real desire to do that from an eager Place. And, and notice also it tells us in the text to fervently love one another from the heart. I tell you what the opposite of this looks like. And I don't know if you all have had this in your home. My kids have been doing pretty well. Um, but growing up, one of the things that I had to do when my brother and I would fight is that sometimes we had to hug one another and tell each other that we loved one another. I was not sincere, it wasn't fervent, and it wasn't from the heart. (laughs) It was just the kind of saying, I love you, and doing something so that mom and dad would just get off my back. Peter is talking about the opposite. Not the kind of love that would just kind of get God off your back, where you're kind of saying, oh no, look God, I'm loving, I'm doing these things, but there's nothing going on inside. It's, It's not fervent, it's not sincere. The other way that I think about the kind of love that we are not to portray towards one another is the kind of love that I see uh, so many times from us good southern folk who to your face will act loving and drip with words of um, affirmation and then as soon as you turn around, stab you in the back with our words. This is not the kind of love, again, that Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was calling this group of people to. He was calling them to a strong, a real, a deep love and that this should mark the Christian community. Our stance, because of the love that's in us, our stance should be, of course I will, blank, show love in this way towards another believer, a brother or sister in the Lord, because I love you. I love you. What I want you to see now as we kind of transition and we look at the clauses that um, are here to help us know um, from what or how we are to have this type of love, 
um, one of the things that I want you to see is that this type of love that Peter is calling us to is supernatural. And when I use that word supernatural, what I'm meaning is that it is God-given and God-motivated. And I think we'll see, as we look at these two clauses, we'll see why this is possible that we can love one another like this. So let's look at the first clause, and it starts in verse 22. So, so notice the flow here. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified yourselves for a sincere love of the brethren, because this has happened, fervently love one another from the heart. So, so the first clause is, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. This whole idea that we see here, um, that there's some debate here over what it means to have purified your soul. What does it mean uh, that, that in obedience to the truth, our souls have been purified? And I think within the context, it makes clear if we jump up and look at verse 21, who, through him who are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God, since you have in obedience to the truth. I think this phrase is talking about salvation. I think this phrase, I think it's clear from the context, it is talking about salvation, that this obedience to the truth that has purified your soul is faith and hope. That, that this is your salvation. You have, you have had faith in Christ. That we have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and that has given us a living hope and because of that, our souls have been purified. And because of that, because of that, we can have a sincere, supernatural love. Now, I want to explain this, but I want to jump to the second clause because I think it creates this picture that is helpful and that explains it. The second clause we see... Notice again the flow. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for or because, so love one another, for or because you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And what Peter is doing here, if you've been tracking with us through 1 Peter, is he's picking up on some themes that he has already talked about. And I want to just trace those briefly and get you to the, the main point. And this builds on one another. So the first thing that we see is this. For you have been born again. This whole idea that we saw in verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. What Peter is picking back up on is that you have been born again. God is your Father. The idea here in the text, over and over, that we see from Peter is that God has fathered us. And because God is the source, great is our security. Our hope is sure. God has fathered us, and notice it says that He has fathered us through the word. Look back at verse 10 through 12 in this chapter. As to this salvation, 
the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which has now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So that as we look in this text and as we look into this context, we see this whole idea that's brought forward in, earlier in this chapter of this salvation that was brought to you through the preached gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the seed. This is the word by which, through which, God has fathered us. Again, notice that in verse 12. It says that who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. And then look at the end of verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. And so here, in this context, as we are looking at how is it, how is it that we can love with a sincere love? How can we fervently love one another? Peter is pushing us is that you can love one another because you have been born again by the Word of God, by the Gospel. And this is where your hope should lie. And, and, and notice what it says about this hope, about this Gospel in verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. The Gospel God's Word endures forever. And I, and I want you to see in a second the argument and, and what it's building towards. And, but I want to ask the question in order to bring this into focus is, why does God, why does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why does Peter quote Isaiah here? This is a quote from Isaiah 40. Um, as Isaiah was writing, and we're going we're gonna to look, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40, we're going to look at a few verses there. As Isaiah was writing, he was writing to God's people in exile. Much like the exiles, and I think that what Peter is doing is that he's drawing some comparisons. As, he's, as Peter is writing to exiles, as he is writing to sojourners, as he is writing to people who have been displaced from their home, Isaiah is similarly writing. And, 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 and what's going on is that both of these peoples are being squeezed. And both of them are being squeezed and pressured um, by these forces that are bigger than things that they could have imagined. Babylon, the, the most powerful uh, nation on earth uh, during the time of Isaiah. Similarly, for the people that Peter is writing to, Rome, this big structure, this big power. And I think what's going on is that these people that Isaiah was writing to and that Peter is writing to, that the temptation is for their hope to be dashed 
Because as they look at their circumstances, as they look at the might of these forces, as they look at culture changing all around them, that there would be a temptation to, to say, where is God? Where is our hope? There would be a temptation to maybe abandon the faith. And Isaiah, as well as Peter, is telling his readers to take courage. And as we look at this, as we understand, as we, as we see here in Isaiah, and it talks about um, the flower fades in verse 7 in Isaiah 40. When the, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. All of these earthly things, all of these earthly powers, they fade when God blows on them. This whole pandemic that we are experiencing, it is nothing in the hand of God. God can blow, God can speak, and they fade. But what we see is that the Word of God endures forever. And one of the things that's interesting in the book of Isaiah, that Isaiah is telling these people, there will be a day. A day is coming when the Messiah will appear and all things will be made new. Look at the hope that Isaiah is pointing to in verses 9 through 11. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with His arm ruling for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and his recompense before him. Listen to this. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom and will gently lead the nursing ewes. Isaiah, in his writing here, is moving towards this whole picture of Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. And so what we see what we see is that Isaiah, like Peter, is telling his audience, listen, here is who you are. You are part of God's people. And though you may be tempted to despair and, to, to, and, and that your hope may be fleeting, hope in God. His word stands forever. His word is true and you can trust Him. His word will save you despite your circumstances. Your circumstances are fleeting. They are perishing. But God's word, God's promise stands forever. I want to back up again in 1 Peter. And I just want you to hear, I want to march through just a couple of verses. And I want you to hear the picture that I think Peter is painting for us. First of all in verse 8. And though you have not seen Him, Jesus... You love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with inexpressible and full, with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. That the people whom Peter was writing to are looking back to Jesus and what Jesus had done. Now let's look at verse 10. 
As to this salvation, the prophets, so it's going back long ago, the prophets who prophesied, Isaiah would be one of those, of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries. So he, this picture of this Jesus, whom you don't see, but you love, who you're looking back on, the prophets who prophesied of this Jesus to come. And then look at verse 20 and 21 again. For he was, notice the plan of God here, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and that your hope are in God. He has not left you. As we see, as we see this plan of God from the beginning to the end, that God's got it under control, and that what he, Peter is writing to his hearers are, you are part of this story, and because you are part of this story, your hope is secure, hope in God. And when we hope in God, and when we are trusting and placing our faith in Him, it frees us, it frees us to love in a supernatural way. I think that's what Peter is telling us and why Peter is driving home that your salvation, you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. It is part of the plan of God. And if you are one of his children, you are secure. And brothers and sisters, when we are in that place of security and when we realize where our hope is coming from, we are freed to love in such a way that is other worldly a couple things a couple of closing thoughts number one I believe that when we are born again that when we become a Christian that God gives us through his spirit indwelling us that God gives us this impulse to love. Not only does He give us an impulse to love, but the Spirit within us convicts us when we are unloving. I have a friend, an older gentleman, who was a, um, a, a biker through and through. He is, was the picture of a 60s and 70s biker. Uh, his face is a little disfigured um, from various um, run-ins with rough people. Um, he has a lot of stories he could tell. But if you didn't know it, and if you didn't see his face, one of the things that you would get from him is that he is one of the most loving, kind, and gentle men you would ever meet. And one day I, I asked him about this, and he just, tears streaming down his face, told me his salvation story. And told me how God had changed his heart. And told me that, that now that he is in Christ, now that he's a new creature, that his hope and his faith are, are in other things other than this world. And so he no longer had to live under that curse and weight of that this world is all that there is, so I better self-protect, I better get what I need. But he was living for something Else. And so I think when we are born again that God puts that impulse in us. The second thing, the second thing that 
closing thoughts is that although that we have been born again, although that we've got this impulse in us, although that the Spirit is working in us, although that we have a new security, a new hope, we still have indwelling sin. And so sometimes, I think a lot of times as Christians, the command to love our brothers and sisters takes work. And you may be experiencing this under quarantine. That this indwelling sin, this, this sin that will, will, will not completely be eradicated until glory creates selfishness within us. Creates pride. Creates envy. Deadens the part within us. Tries to damper the part within us, the impulse to love, it tries to throw water on that and tries to, to, to bring up this other side of, no, 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 don't be vulnerable. Don't love in that way. You could get hurt. And so one of the things that, that we're left with this morning is we need to be able to question ourselves and we need to be able to know how. The question is, why don't I love my brother? The, 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 the question becomes, okay, if I'm not feeling this sincere love for my brother, if I'm not loving my brother or sister fervently from the heart, what's going on inside of me that I need to change? Notice what I'm saying. The impulse that many of us have if you are in a relationship with a brother or sister in the Lord and you are having a hard time loving them, most of the time what we want to do is point out the things in that person that makes it difficult to love them. And I think what Peter is calling us to and what God's Word always calls us to is to turn and look inward. And going back into our study and informing us, I think most of the time what happens is that we, the big picture is here, is that we are not hoping in God and our faith is not in God. And when we abandon those things, then we get into this trap. We get into this trap of self-preservation. We get into this trap where we, we don't see um, where that Christ died for my brother and loved my brother just as much as he loved me. Christ died for him just like he died for me. That my hope being rooted in this world prevents me from, from being able to love supernaturally, prevents me from being able to, to do things uh, that may put me at risk because, because in that moment my hope is in this world. My hope is in my feelings. My hope is in trying to create a security for myself. Peter helps us out with this in his second letter. Just hear these words. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Notice, notice what Peter's doing. He, he is saying, here's who you are. You have this. Now do this. This is where this is helpful. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness 
through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious, notice this, He's granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. That's where we are hoping. So that by them, when we're hoping in them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Because by this we have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, He's telling, he's telling his readers to do this. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, supply self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are, your and are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Having forgotten where our hope and security lies, we turn from supplying those things. We turn from loving our brothers and sisters and turn back to pride. Now it is fitting it is fitting that we are looking at this passage today um, as we celebrate Palm Sunday. As you read the Gospels, one of the things that you will see in reading the Gospels is that it says that Jesus turned towards Jerusalem and went to Jerusalem. And in doing so, what Jesus was doing and what we are celebrating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is that today we mark Jesus riding into Jerusalem knowing that He was going to be betrayed. Knowing that there was going to be this unjust trial. Knowing that He was going to be mocked. Knowing that He was going to be spit upon. Knowing that He was going to be beaten within inches of His life. And knowing that He was going to be crucified in a horrific manner. And as we celebrate this, one of the things that we look at as we look to Jesus, Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing this, and what propelled Him was love. What propelled Him was love. And so as we think about this, as we think about this, and as we think about this command to love our brothers and love them in this intense sort of ways. Brothers and sisters, one of the things that I would want you to consider if you're struggling with this today is to look to Jesus. He is our example. And as we look to Jesus, as we look to Jesus, we will what will begin to arise in us is this whole idea, this truth that this command is based upon a hope that Christ secured for us through this supernatural love. What Christ has done in the cross and what He will do as He brings us into glory with Him in the end. And this will propel us to give selflessly. It will propel us to hold on to this world loosely. That faith and hope as we look at Christ, 
that this faith and hope arises in, in us and it pries us away. It pries us away from hope, from hoping in ourselves and hoping in this world. The ultimate reality, the ultimate reality under which we live is that we exist to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. So, again, again, fight the fight. Know where you are to focus. Know what God has done for you. He has fathered you. He has caused you to be born again. He has given you a living hope. He has secured it with His Word. His Word endures forever. It was the plan before the foundation of the world, and we saw it play out, and we have seen it unfold in Christ, and we are knowing, and we are hoping, our hope is secure, that He will cause us to endure to the end, and we will spend eternity with Him. So as troubles turn, as troubles continue to push on us, and as we feel ourselves turning selfish, as we feel ourselves turning inward, as we feel ourselves wanting to push back against loving our neighbor, I would pray that you would look to the author and the finisher of your faith and and let him unleash in us this supernatural love by which we can love others. God has given this to the church. As Gary often says, that God has given his, his word to be above us, his spirit is in us and others around us. And God, this is a gift from God. And so brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, it is vital that we are a people that are unleashing the love of God to, to flow through us to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for your word and the power of your word. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the hope that it's given us. And God, I pray that we at Signal Mountain Bible Church will be a people who are known for how we love one another with a supernatural love that comes from resting in your salvation. God, we thank you. In your son Jesus' name we pray.